everyone and welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery and it is just us this week, so we'll get straight into talking about this week's scene. Um, a monumentous occasion, I feel, uh, in this week's scene because we're we're with our, our trio for the first time uh, and we will spend the rest of the film with the, with these three <laughs> characters so this is a really exciting moment i think in the film where we sort of see these three interacting for the first time um and this is a spoiler this is a really great scene uh i will have lots of things to say about how much i enjoy this scene and if you want to watch along with us then the timestamp of this scene is one hour six minutes and 12 seconds to one hour seven minutes and 11 seconds um so just shy of the minute um and this is uh obviously immediately following the scene or the confrontation between Brody and Larry in the hospital so uh, right at the start of this bit Brody rips open the curtain in a very dramatic way which I'm a big big fan of um, and then we start to hear the the conversation between Brody and Quint sort of plays over Brody leaving the hospital um, as they are agreeing on terms and payment and everything else that Quint uh, apparently needs in order to go out and catch this shark. Um, and Quint hands Brody some uh, some homebrew of some kind of uh, alcohol in a shot glass, um, and they take the shot together. Brody uh, is not a fan of this particular <laughs> liquor um, and spits it out when Quint isn't looking. Um, that's pretty much it for, for this scene, but there's a lot of great character moments and some great interactions between these characters in this scene, so plenty to talk about. MJ, do you want to start us off with uh, something that you that you spotted or enjoyed in this scene? Yeah, I don't think I've ever noticed um, that, like you mentioned, Quint starts talking while Brody's still walking out of the hospital. And I thought it was a really clever way because his his presence has kind of loomed over the first half of the film. Maybe not in quite the same way the shark has, but, you know, he has the one scene early in the film at the at the town hall meeting. And that's the only, like, real moment of screen time we see with him. But we also get him laughing at the shark uh, fishermen after they come back uh, with, the, with the tiger shark. And then we also get him when... Hooper's explaining to the tiger shark, the, the 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 chump fisherman, that it's a tiger shark. We see the orca in the background. And so they've physically put him in the film a lot more than the shark, actually, in this first mm. uh in this first half. And this is a really great transition of like showing, hey, we're entering this presence now, and it's going to be it's it's not the Quint show from here on out, but he's been added to the mix 
for the rest of the t- permanently as far as the runtime of the film is concerned um say for like the last few seconds of the film and uh this is a really great way to transition it to like it's almost like they're doing a dissolve but with audio instead of the visual element to it and i really like that um that editing technique to bring the audio in so we hear quint first and he's got such a distinct voice and such a distinct Mm -hmm. accent that um we immediately go oh quince quince in the picture now Mm -hmm. like we 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 are here with him on his turf and he's explaining his terms like he is he is owning this from this point Mm -hmm. forward yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it in that way, in this sort of looming presence of Quint that we've had at moments in, in the film, and you mentioned them just there. So having his his voice play over this scene or this this shot of Brody walking out of the hospital, I think is actually really is really clever and I, I hadn't thought about it in in that way. I sort of as I was watching it earlier today, I was like, "This." I don't think they've done this in the rest of the film where you've sort of seen one character but had another character talking over over the top of it. So I guess that is perhaps sort of like uh, suggesting a little bit about how Quint asserts his dominance in this in this trio. He is the loudest. He is very brash, uh, yeah. crass, rude, lewd, all the rest of it. Um and does sort of throw his weight around, particularly in the beginning with with Brody and Hooper. So this this shot that we get where we're we're seeing Brody, but we're seeing we're hearing Quint talking over it. I think is actually like there's just a really clever technique and a lot to take away, like just from from that small moment. And I. I think I mentioned last week, maybe even the week before that, just how much I enjoy this moment of Brody ripping the curtain open. It's mm-hmm. so good. Uh, <laughs> I now feel like I would like to make everyone uh, tear open their curtains in this similar way. Please be careful with your curtains. I will not take any responsibility for torn down curtains or uh, <laughs> curtain poles or anything that fall down if you're if you're doing this but it's real fun to do it's a it's a real dramatic way of entering or exiting a room um or so I can... a shower yes <laughs> yeah definitely it kind of looks like a shower curtain doesn't it like the yeah. plasticky kind of yeah imagine that that is a that is a dramatic way to exit the shower i would recommend that to <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a way to start your day off in a real power move it sure is, yeah. The the laser focus uh, look of Brody as well after he rips the curtain open is just is so good. And I I I've got it up now, and obviously haven't got the the sound, um, so I can't hear Quint. But just seeing that look on his face, and he sort of um, takes like a breath almost, or just sort of adjusts his face and is, you know, preparing himself, stealing himself, I guess, for what is, um, what is to come. But he is looking like dead ahead. He's not looking around at the hospital. He doesn't look back at Larry. This is a really great, uh, decisive, uh, movement, uh, from Roy Scheider that I, I really appreciated. And it reminded me a bit of that, um, the bit right at the beginning of the film when Brody 
after he's left the police station and he sort of like has his mission which is to go and get the supplies in town uh to make the beach closed signs mm. basically um and it's a similar it's a similar look it's just a very different tone there's his, there's quite a I mean, I think we described it as him having a bit of a spring in his step in that moment because he does this sort of little skip. Uh, he's kind of like looking around and in- enjoying the you know nice weather and <laughs> sunshine and birds singing that there is in Amity. But it's a similar kind of determined look about him, like a man on a mission. Like he knows now what it is that he needs to do and you see that all over his face. But yeah, a lot more serious uh in this moment compared to that bit earlier in the film yes uh i was very distracted thinking about anyone in my household trying this or leaving the shower and just being met with two incredibly (laughs) confused kitty cat faces on the other end (laughs) what are you doing yeah (laughs) this isn't how you normally get out of the shower (laughs) what's changed (laughs) why did you do that what are you doing and why are you doing it (laughs) real power move (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're like you, you're already taller than us what, what? <laughs> oh bless <laughs> um <clears throat> i love quint's list of demands uh because he knows pun mega intended he's got them over the barrel on this uh mm-hmm. And so he just, his list of stuff is, is great. Uh, And then, so he says like $10,000 a day plus 200, even if I don't catch the shark. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Get the mayor off my back so I don't have to deal with his zoning crap. Mm -hmm. A case of apricot brandy and is it lunch every day? Or? It doesn't uh, specify. I think he says apricot. Apricot brandy and you buy the lunch, and that's one case of apricot brandy. Brandy, you buy the lunch, and then Brody negotiates two cases of apricot brandy, and you get dinner when you get back, which made me really (laughs) sad this time around. Like I'd never thought about it, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, he never got that dinner. Mm. Um, and then uh, the color TV. What does he say? (laughs) Champagne. (laughs) Champagne. Champagne, caviar. foie gras, Iranian caviar, <laughs> and don't forget the color TV. Um, <laughs> and the thing about Quint is I'm pretty sure he's serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it also, also his list of demands is the most what a poor person thinks is fancy mm-hmm. list of things. It like... It is, it is like what your average Trump supporter probably thinks when they mm-hmm. think about fancy shit. And that makes, that's such a good touch. Like, I love the thought that went into him making these demands of like, okay, what would someone who's in this position want out of this? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great, like, subtle way of showing his sort of working class background and Mm -hmm. we're immediately 
remembering you know that hooper is very very wealthy i would say brody is kind of like in the middle of them they've you know they've got a nice house i think they're pretty comfortable it seems like they're you know the brodies are doing all right for themselves financially uh so we sort of get all ends of the the spectrum on this but it's really giving you that contrast of particularly Quint and Hooper and setting up that that animosity and you know he's the this will be next week's scene but he's right in there with the jabs as well where he sort of says something about um it's like the real life equivalent of subtweeting when he says you can't you can't get a decent person under 60 or whatever and Mm -hmm. he sort of looks at Hooper as he says it so it's like Hooper is young and he's rich and he is completely everything that quint isn't (laughs) basically but even though we don't have much in fact i don't think there's any interaction between quint and hooper in this bit that we're talking about today it's planting it's planting those seeds so we know where the animosity is is gonna come from and i i made a very similar note actually with the with his sort of list of demands that it is it's it is basically just you know plucking out things that sound vaguely fancy um whether (laughs) whether or not he actually well i think he probably does want all of those things and uh would would greatly appreciate that but the first like half of his demands like the money getting the mayor off his back the apricot Mm. brandy like that sort of seems like the the serious side of uh of his demands and then because what happens between that is Brody like giving the counter offer, which is actually offering him more than than he requested. You know, he gets two cases of apricot brandy. He's going to have the lunch and he gets dinner when he gets back. That's when Quint then kind of goes, well, okay, so they are going to give me everything that I want. Um, <laughs> so then just sort of comes out with this uh, slightly ridiculous and over the top list of of other luxuries and and fancy things that he he definitely doesn't need. But you know, he's just. Um, it's a bit. It's like, I guess like a bit of sort of like banter between uh, Quint and Brody, um, which we sort of yeah get get the sense of of that from the start. And I think yeah they've obviously had an interaction before, so they're not you know completely unfamiliar with each other, although still very much figuring each other out and getting to know each other. Um, but Brody is. I don't even know if Brody is listening to all of Quint's demands. I think he is just kind of right at the start of this bit he's like you know you got it yeah it's yours take it (laughs) he's just kind of like looking around taking it all in uh and at this stage is just happy to give quinn whatever the hell he wants uh caviar champagne have it all like it doesn't matter at this stage it's it's he knows that this is the right guy to to kill the shark now um you see that from all of the set dressing in this scene and and the great reaction shots as well from from Scheider and Dreyfus so yeah such honestly just such a great scene but yeah that that list of demands I think is is very very funny um so now that I'm thinking about it is this what he wants at the dinner is champagne pate de foie gras and Iranian caviar yeah maybe I hadn't yeah I hadn't thought about in that way but then the color (laughs) the color tv kind of uh throws that off a bit yeah that's true um but also (laughs) while this is happening there is this awesome shot of Hooper walking around like a kid in a candy store oh uh, I love it looking at all the uh (laughs) the various jaws that he has on the wall the the shark jaws that he has on 
on basically every surface of uh, his little workshop. Um, he is so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's it, I. We're on the same page today. I wrote the exact thing, same thing in my notes. The kid in the candy store. So Hooper is the 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 kid in the sharky store i guess this, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> he, he's just real happy to be there and he's got this really he looks so young in this yeah. scene as well i don't know if it's the fact that he hasn't got his glasses on or he's in sort of more like casual dress or it is just that childlike look of wonder on his face as he looks around the cabin it's just it's so endearing it's so charming and he he's just absolutely delighted to be there and there's a there's a great um reaction shot from Roy Scheider as well I think it's right after we sort of see Hooper um and he is just kind of like almost like disbelief he sort of like rubs his face and is just sort of like taking everything in and is like wow we've really how I saw it was like we've really lucked out here like we've really like found the guy who's gonna who's gonna get this shark that you know the reminder is all over the walls about what Quint does um, and how successful he is at it. So I think Brody sort of sees this as like his ticket, his ticket out of this mess and, and no more shark. Um, and you see that all over his face, which is great. Yeah. Well, and we also get the shot of uh, Quint's assistant who mm. runs away with Ben Gardner's first mate, remember? <laughs> um, all those episodes back where... <laughs> We just we see. I think it's only one shot in this where he just kind of walks in front of the frame, but he's still wearing that checkered jacket and that yellow mm-hmm. hat. Um, <laughs> I don't think we ever find out what happens to that guy. Mm. Well, we know, but yeah. well, yeah, in the, obviously, <laughs> in yeah. the film canon, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then after those reaction shots, uh, Quint asks just Chief Brody, which I think is important to mm. try the homemade moonshine but it's if you notice it's part of his demands uh mm. because he says and don't forget the color tv and then he says and chief try this mm-hmm. so part of his demands for doing this is that brody do a shot of this homemade mystery alcohol uh <laughs> that he's made my guess is that it's some sort of a grain alcohol um that's just a million proof the closest thing you could buy in a store is something called everclear which Mm. is you can buy it up to 95 percent alcohol by volume Uh, (laughs) um yep uh up to 190 proof oh boy (laughs) yeah yep the lowest you can buy it is 120 proof which is 60 percent alcohol by volume so uh yeah pure grain alcohol is is what my bet is because everclear is is clear like that too it's not um Mm. it's not distilled the same way like a whiskey is to to get the the color or whatever um so that's that's my that's my guess on on what he's made this sort of weird prison bathtub grain alcohol (laughs) no i say he he hands it to him like it's a like it's a test as well isn't it it's like prove your prove your manliness i think this is the first um real indication we get of this 
sense of masculinity on display that we get like throughout the whole rest of the film basically and it's just it's like he doesn't say it but it's the kind of you know this will put hairs on your chest sort of thing and and hands in this alcohol and yeah is i i i was reading the script earlier and hadn't sort of twigged that yeah it does sort of like make up part of his demands which is really funny to to think about but it is also the the test isn't it and he gives hooper a test in a little bit as well with Mm -hmm. the the tying of the rope so it's you know he knows he can do it and this the the still that i've got at the moment where i paused it he's got this real like cheeky grin on his face as well (laughs) as he sort of says pretty good stuff and he he chuckles as well as he hands it over to brody so he's feeling like real pleased with himself he is the man with all the power he is the one making the demands and these two are gonna have to do like what he says basically um so brody is gonna drink that alcohol whether he wants to or not and he definitely does not want to drink it. <laughs> yeah i from here on out it is quince world and brody and hooper just living in it yeah uh, for sure like and and i think this scene shows that um in there's so as he's pouring the alcohol he's looking in a mirror at chief brody um Mm. until he turns around with it and um i was kind of because reading too much in the shit is kind of what we do here i was kind of like running through (laughs) the rolodex of like what does it mean like reflections of masculinity reflection of brody are they two sides of the same coin sort of thing but i think i landed on uh if you look at the mirror, you also see another round window. They look like mm-hmm. porthole windows. So it it yeah. almost shows like how much more comfortable uh, Quint is on the ocean than on land. And if you look in, through the windows behind him, you can see almost exclusively the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it almost gives this feeling that they're they're on the water even though they're still on land. It doesn't matter because they're in Quint's territory and Quint's territory, ter- Quint's territory that came dangerously close to being Quentin Tarantino. Um, <laughs> Quint's territory is the sea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I had picked up on the, like the window thing and sort of, there's a lot of windows in this cabin. Mm-hmm. That seems like state in the obvious, but um you see a lot of the ocean you see the boats outside um the quint looking into the into the mirror i think is a really great shot because brody is out of frame um so for for like a split second it is quint talking to <laughs> talking to himself in the mirror or that's we know he's talking to brody because you know he is continuing the conversation that we saw just before where he is talking to brody but the fact that the person who he is talking to is out of shot and all we see is quint kind of continuing to talk to himself in the mirror you are getting that sense i think of of ego maybe that's the like the super obvious reading of it um but that was kind of yeah what i took away from from that bit as well but it's a really cool it's a really cool shot i know it's just like a guy looking in a mirror but the the framing of it is really great with the sort of the windows either side, the ocean, you get the reflection of the ocean in the mirror as well um, through the other window. Um, and again, this sort of sense of uh, being trapped and like, because the the stairs are in front of, in front mm-hmm. of Quint as well. So it's this sort of barrier divide between, between him and Brody, but also getting that sort of sense of, um i don't know really i guess quint 
maybe being at some point in the obviously we know he ends up in in peril later in the film but being trapped in a situation he can't get out of and we we certainly see that in the way that (laughs) in the way that he meets his end because there is really only one way that that thing is gonna go he is you know trapped uh, captured in the jaws of the shark right at the end um so that is absolutely reading too much into it and i appreciate that but (laughs) yeah certainly the the idea of um getting a sense of 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 quint's ego and his own like stroking of his ego as well i think is something that's so crucial to this character and it's great to establish that in in this scene this is quint peak quint i feel like we're getting in these next couple of scenes where he's really at the at the peak of his powers like before they kind of confront the shark he is really confident cocky swaggering he does everything with a smile and and you know puts the other two in their places and it's such it's great shots like this that sort of establish that that sense of his character so that said um so (laughs) after this we get the 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 toast the the infamous toast of uh, here's mm-hmm. to swimming with bow legged women and they 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 clink and drink and Brody has an adverse reaction at best to <laughs> the alcohol um, which delights Quint um, but I so this is that is the here's to swimming with bow legged women is maybe one of the most quoted Quint lines that you are likely Mm -hmm. to find anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's basically, if you don't know, it's basically pro like loose women (laughs) is, is Mm -hmm. the, the the roughest definition of it. Like the, the bow legged women would mean their, their legs open easier because their legs are bowed out anyway. So if you didn't know what that's what that meant, that's what that means, um, which shows uh, we've talked about this and hinted at this, but now we're almost immediately in the thick of it with the the types of masculinity on display, but more specifically, like the ego, the superego and the id um, running around and, and Quint obviously being the id of this. He operates on pure instinct um, and is just kind of this like dirty old sailor, uh, like this, this very like salty sea captain archetype i mean it, it, there's almost no difference between him and the sea captain from uh the simpsons <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's this 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 thing so i we've danced around it i think every time quint has gotten brought up like quint is obviously not uh quint is to, to use a phrase of our time, a problematic fave. Um, <laughs> and what do you think it is that's that's the appeal of Quint? Because I think everyone who's a fan of the film loves him, and rightfully so. But he's also, he kind of sucks. Like, he's, mm. he's super misogynistic. He's, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised to find racist. Um, uh, <laughs> that doesn't come up in the movie, thankfully. It's, it helps it. Helps it the movie mm. age feel a lot more timeless and a lot, you feel a lot better watching it than you do some yeah. 1970s movies um, <laughs> that it's not in there. Um, but he's like very casually misogynistic the entire film, but also mm. like one of the best and like uh, most memorable characters that everyone, you know, 
kind of wants to be a little bit. Mm. I think it's the... I don't know if it's the, the, the confidence or the swagger or he's the kind of the guy you love to hate sort of thing. And I think that that's, that is something that you see across films. Like the guy who is, you know, or, or girl, anyone, who is a bit of a jerk, there, has, there still has to be something likable about them, redeemable about them, because otherwise it is just this horrible person that you're right. that you're watching, and you and you don't feel particularly invested in them. So, I think I think it's a bit of that. I think it's just that he is this incredibly over the top character. You know, every offensive thing he could say, he he says it. Particularly with with misogyny, we see it a lot in the scene where they're kind of loading up the orca I mean, yeah. the stuff that comes out of his mouth then is really terrible uh but it's yeah that this um i think i don't know if i'm i'm wrong in this but i was looking at the sort of origins of this here's to swim in with bow-legged women mm-hmm. phrase um it was a dangerous thing to Google, but yeah. It... <laughs> Let me know what you found because I didn't find a lot. Actually, it was mostly related to Jaws. Okay, it, yeah, it t- it turned out okay. Where I think that there is like a a similar line, or yeah, so certainly something that mentions like bow legged women and rhyming that with swimming um, in like a sea shanty type of thing. Um, I need to find it and and listen to it. I just ran out of time earlier, but I I found some lyrics. I just didn't get the chance to verify whether that was something that someone had written because of Jaws. You know, they'd they'd heard the line and then they kind of like wrote (laughs) wrote this sea shanty because inexplicably sea shanties had like a real resurgence recently. Yeah, they did. In popularity. Oh, that was a fun, that was a fun couple of weeks, wasn't it? My music Um, teacher wife had a great time with that. She was like, I can teach music history to these kids and they don't even know it. They just think I'm being cool and doing the TikTok thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man, I... When that started happening on the internet, I was like, "Well, 2021, guys, this is <laughs> this is where <laughs> this is where we're at." Hey, um, man, it's been a long pandemic. <laughs> it sure, it sure has. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if that yeah someone wrote it because because of Jaws or if it is like an old sea shanty that you know has those words in it and that I, I like that narrative because I like the idea of you get that sense of Quint's character that, you know, he throws around these sort of, you know, sea dog kind of phrases, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he does he does the whole, like, yo-ho and a bottle of rum thing, like, when they're <laughs> heading out on the, <laughs> the orca, he goes full pirate. Um, but, yeah, I, it seems, and he sings as well, and we get the farewell energy when he sings that, so yeah. It seems like the sort of thing he he would do is is sort of like quote like a an old sea shanty or something. So I will continue to do some googling on that and hopefully come up with something more conclusive than that. But I think the the summary of it is with with Quint is just he's he's such an incredible screen presence. He's so mm-hmm. enigmatic. You just you cannot take your eyes off him, and I, the the still that I've got paused um, right now is as as Brody is sort of in the foreground and very tentatively sipping the shot. The way he sips that shot is so funny to me. Um, 
because Quint just sort of like knocks it back in one. But um, he he has these kind of like silvery blue eyes, and like when they sort of like flash on the screen, they're 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 piercing. I think like we maybe we mentioned this before, and sort of like the. Uh, his piercing glare is kind of like that of the of the sharks and he talks about like the sharks like black eyes later on mm-hmm. um but this this way he's sort of like looking looking at Brody and and you know sort of sizing him up as he's taking this drink it's it, that look kind of like goes right through you and even though Brody is in the foreground it's like all eyes are on Quint <laughs> and he just has that screen presence I think in a in an incredible way and it's I'm so excited to get in, into more Quint as we uh, as we sort of do this next half of the podcast, just because so much stuff to say about him as a character and his his appeal. I think is something that will be really interesting to sort of unpack as we go because he does do and say <laughs> bad things and isn't always the nicest um, of people. But there's just it's just it is. I think it's the love to hate thing. I think it's the yeah. You know, sometimes you root for the villain. Sometimes they're actually more interesting than than the other characters. They've got they've got edge. They've got backstory. They've got something about them that is a bit dangerous and and nasty. And you just kind of I don't know. It's just I think it's just human nature sometimes to to like that in a character. And I I think that's that's part of what Quint's appeal is. Yeah, I think too. Um, one. When he says, here's this woman with bow-legged women, it is almost a threat to Brody. <laughs> um, the the way he looks at him is, like, so deadly serious for mm-hmm. a line from a dirty limerick or a dirty sea shanty or something. Um, the other thing I, did, I found was that it's actually kind of a play on something sailors would say, which was don't go swimming with bow-legged women, which is arguably slut-shaming, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I was, I had read, so I read the thing you were talking about, about it being lyrics to an old sort of sea shanty or song. Um, Mm. But I had also found the thing about sailors would say, don't go swimming with bow-legged women. Like, like, don't associate with loose women, basically. Um, Mm. And so... I, I found both, so I wasn't I was I wasn't sure if you had found something more definitive um, mm. or not. But I think also one of the appeals of Quint is, like you said, he does do and say bad things, but he is we're still on his side because we want to see the shark get caught, right? Like we mm-hmm. want, and we know that's what he wants too. So we want the same thing as Quint, um, and. I think especially over the course of the film or the rest of the film, we also see that like, yes, he's, you know, he's certifiable, but uh, (laughs) he also does have this, like um, not just this cool factor, although he's very cool under pressure and he does cool things as well as bad things. And sometimes it's a gray area, (laughs) Um, but I think he's very confident and he has a lot of knowledge that he can put into action and on display, maybe, a little bit more readily in this next half of the movie than say Brody or well, Brody's definitely out of his element in this next half of the movie, but um, maybe a little bit more than Hooper um, because mm. Hooper's, you know, the, the man of science type thing. And then, like I said, Quint operates on pure instinct. And I think there's something kind of appealing to that uh, appealing mm. to some sort of, you know, primitive lizard brain 
of of just i think all people of like wanting to be able to act quickly and swiftly and with um a a a measured like to just know what to do in a situation when the going gets rough um Mm. and i think quint does have that on display and i think that's an admirable quality um Mm. To, to have so he's he's not without his merits like he's not just a prick you know <laughs> um and so i think that helps to it just it makes him a lot more layered it makes him a lot more human mm-hmm. um you know and i think everyone has kind of had to work with someone who's kind of sucks but is also really good at their job mm. um you know and not that that defines a person entirely but like it it does help if you, especially if you like doing something and you're like, ah, oh, man, this person sucks, but I'm going to get the knowledge I can from them while I can and then cut and run. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have definitely been in that situation before. So uh, I think all that to say, Quint's just, I mean, he's, he's, he's the best because he's kind of the worst. Um, mm. But he's just very, like you said, enigmatic. He's, he's also, he's, there's something kind of unknowable about him. Like he's, He's clearly been through it, and we find out a lot about that, but I don't think we find out everything mm. um, about it. He's had a life. <laughs> yeah. we The development of Quint's character I find so interesting because he does start out like this, this sort of you know dirty joke telling, limericks, singing, misogynistic, you know, brash character, and we peel back those layers across the film which i think is one of the things that makes the indianapolis speech so memorable and and we won't get into that too much because we will spend five full episodes uh talking (laughs) about the indianapolis speech uh so you have indianapolis month to look forward to (laughs) in uh in a while but yeah the this being our first impression of quint i think is I mean, he certainly makes an impact. And actually, we talked about in his opening scene, the sort of the first time we see him when he when he scratches his nails down the chalkboard. I mean, talk about like making an entrance. And this is yeah. sort of like the the reintroduction of of Quint and establishing the the core trio as well. So he, you, you get this, yeah. There's it, you see it. I, I don't know. I, you see something like in his eyes you sense that there is a lot that we don't know about this character that he's quite mysterious um even just sort of like the the stuff that is in his cabin like this was the first time that i've really sort of like paused and looked around the stuff that is in this cabin and it is honestly a thing of beauty this might be one of my favorite sets in the whole film yeah Um, it's great yeah, the a shout out to the production designer, I believe is Joe Alves, um, did the production design for this and the just the set dressing on this bit is so is so great. There's so many little things to look at and I got the sense of um a bit of like a mad scientist vibe <laughs> to Quint's cabin. There's just like there's there's kind of like curios and things hanging on the wall and slightly morbid things as well because you know he has all these shark jaws and kind of gross looking things hanging on the wall his hands are covered in blood as well which i hadn't really picked up on um and there's things like bubbling and brewing and you know he's 
with you know one moment is is getting something out of uh, a a pan or something that he's brewing and that's the the drink that he gives to Brody and then he sort of moves across the cabin takes something else out of like a another pan and it's the shark jaws that he is sort of like steaming in there it's like you don't want to get those two pans mixed up do you like here have some <laughs> of my lovely home brew and it's just like well no that's the uh, that's the jaws pan how um, do you think the home brew happens <laughs> I bet like once he's had a few too many uh a few too many cans, he's uh yeah, he's <laughs> getting all kinds of mixed up in there. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, sorry, I completely forgot my point. I was just uh very much enjoying oh, all no that's <laughs> just enjoying the design of this uh of this set and what we sort of learn about Quint through through the stuff that is in his cabin, this sort of like unhinged, slightly dangerous uh mysterious character and i think all of that comes across in this um in this scene and the sort of things we see around the cabin as well yeah so couple notes on that one i think not not because we do have indianapolis month coming up um (laughs) i think in that moment we learn that he's one of the things he's dealing with a lot is some survivor's guilt because he Mm -hmm. survived and a lot of people he knows didn't And I think that we get the first notes of that in this scene because of one, him saying here's to swimming with bow-legged women with this deadly serious stare on his face. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's using um, the, 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 the the grizzled sea captain persona as a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, that's why he's so over the top in his misogyny um, with this. Uh, but also, he's got blood on his hands in this scene. And yeah, the implication is that it's it's uh, shark blood or fish blood at the very least. But I think it also illustrates um, maybe the lives he took in World War II just in general, just by by virtue of being in a, a war. And also maybe he feels somewhat responsible or, or somehow uh, for what happened on the Indianapolis, even though it was not his fault at all. Mm. Um, and I think that, that this moment shows that. Mm. Yeah, it's, I find it so interesting to watch the early parts of the film knowing what we know about how it ends up which may sound like a dumb thing to say but <laughs> it does make you or should make you sort of like rethink these these character moments because when you're just watching this for the first time like we don't know all that stuff about Quint but yet that stuff that happened to him in the past is so important in shaping him as a character and we don't need to have our character introductions with a you know bullet point list come up on the screen and tell us all the things we need to know about them or you know uh sort of heavy-handed um exposition (laughs) dumps or anything like that we don't need that we learn that about the character as we as we go along but it does make you see the characters in a different light when you sort of know more about them and with Brody and Hooper we find out quite a bit about them prior to them going out on the Orca. We know we've met the whole Brody family. We know he was in New York. We know when they moved to Amity. Uh, we get this. We know he has a 
fear of water, like all these things that we learn about Brody. Hooper, we learn that he is incredibly rich, his family is rich. Uh, we know sort of what he does as a job and, you know, his interactions and, and things that he has had with sharks in the past as well. Quint, we don't get any of that until later. So it's super interesting. And I think that I, I'm coming back to this. I think that, that this is one of the things that makes Quint so interesting as a character. We're intrigued by him because we don't know much about him. And it sort of, it does the the character development of him differently to how it does how it does to the other two is that like does that make sense um like i just i think it's interesting that 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 is how it chooses to sort of unpack quint's character is is finding out later and, and that forces you then to like want to go back to watch the film again because you know why not uh watch jaws again but when you know what you know then looking back at these early scenes of quint and then like unpacking it a bit more and being like oh that's why he is the way he is because of that thing that happens to him yeah i think um i think finding out that late is definitely bold and mm. um but i think it, it, it it's what helps strengthen the character too is because even though you know what's coming after you've seen the movie a million times up front here <laughs> when he's just kind of being this sort of like uh, you know, grizzled sea captain who does dirty limericks and has all the power in the scenes. Um, Robert Shaw is so good in these scenes mm -hmm. that it, it like, not that it doesn't matter that he's being kind of crappy, but it, um, it's so compelling to watch no matter what he's doing that, uh, you don't need to know everything about that character. You need to want to know everything about that character. And I think mm -hmm. that's the more important thing when it comes to Quint. Like, I don't think we know everything about Brody and Hooper, but we know right. enough and we know enough to say we know everything about them. With Quint, we always want to know more about him. He's just so interesting and so mm -hmm. charismatic and like grossly charming and... <laughs> um, just he he's just played so well by Robert Shaw too. Like it's such a mm. it's such a powerhouse performance. Yeah, it's. I mean, I know none of the acting performances were nominated for Oscars, which is a crime. But then it's sort of like a. You, I always see the film as like a triple header. It's really hard to yeah. pick out the lead. I mean, if, I guess technically it is Roy Scheider. Um, and I would probably put him in, in lead and the others in supporting. But then yeah. I, I, yeah, it's this performance from Robert Shaw is just amazing. And it's, we get the sort of the, the bravado of, of Quint, uh, even more so as, as the film goes on, particularly in the sort of the early scenes of him on the Orca. But there is in this, in this scene, that sense of, that sense of mystery and and not knowing much about this character and he he just completely sells it it's in those moments where there's there's like a slight pause the sort of the way he looks brody up and down as he's as he's taking the drink the sort of deadpan mm -hmm. way he walks past him as well when um <laughs> i just the way brody spits out that drink is really funny as well it makes a really satisfying kind of like plink in the uh in the jar or whatever it is he he spits it into um but yeah robert shaw just throughout the film it's just you 
you do get that sense of him being the sort of more classically trained actor. He obviously had a theatre background and the way he sort of delivers a, delivers a monologue and delivers a, a line is, is kind of unlike anyone else, really. He just... I could never imagine anyone else playing playing Quint. I mean, I think that with, with all of the characters in, in Jaws, to be honest, but you just... He, I think, more than anyone, just completely embodies this character. There is no one else who could play who could play Quinn, and it's just such a wonderful performance, start to finish. Yeah, he's man, he's so freaking good in this. Uh, <laughs> also, in this scene, we see our first appearance of the Gansett beer. Yeah, um, we do. There's a can. <laughs> I've never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a can hanging out on the steps. Mm-hmm. Yep. I noticed for the first time today as well, and I knew you were going to pick it out. So. <laughs> yeah, I was. I noticed it. Yeah, also for the first time today. Also, what I'm noticing on the still, I'm pausing on. There's like, not to make it weird. Like, obviously, he's the type of guy who would have dirty pictures posted up, but mm. the dirty pictures he has posted up are bizarre to me. They are. <laughs> they are like, they're like. Like, it's one thing if you, like, you know, see, like, a mechanic shop that has, like... Or, like, the the, the poster in Die Hard that's mm-hmm. in the in the back room of, like, the, the Playboy model or whatever. But this is, like... It, it, to me, the one I can see clearly in frame, it looks like an a close-up of an interracial couple kissing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that looks almost like it is... Once again, not to be weird, it is significantly more like artfully erotic than you would expect <laughs> something like that to be on like uh uh just like a like a dirty old man's wall. Um mm. it's just it that really is sticking out to me because I just happened to pause it right there and I didn't even notice that before i've never noticed that but now it's like Mm -hmm. all i can look at where i'm just like what is the story with that like how did that end up there yeah i i picked out that as well and i was just like that is an interesting choice uh (laughs) what was like i mean the set design and everything obviously something we've praised but like was there i mean reasoning for that is you know does, does quint prefer that sort of uh like dirty pictures on his wall as opposed to sort of like the classic ones you would see like you said but yeah i i whatever you whatever you enjoy quint sure yeah i'm not i'm not uh kink shaming him but no this is i'm not quint shaming him uh (laughs) never mind (laughs) <laughs> it just yeah it just really sticks out to me and then if you look directly to the right it looks like he has a more traditional like pinup poster mm. next to it so like i that makes me even more curious yeah <laughs> quint's a complicated guy he really is yeah with a a very simple selection of tins on his uh on his little food shelf though uh, <laughs> it's almost exclusively like tinned vegetables and soups this is a man who He's not got time for fancy cooking. He's just a he's a he's a real simple guy. <laughs> uh, I love that he also says "excuse me, chief" to go delightedly check on these jaws that are boiling in. Mm. <laughs> he is so excited. 
to mm-hmm. uh, check on these jaws. <laughs> yeah, he really is. He looks like the look on his face after he's finished as well. He's looking, he's looking real pleased with him. <laughs> he's really pleased with himself. It does feel like, uh, I mean, he doesn't need to show off about how many sharks he has has killed and captured in his time i mean it is all over the walls literally <laughs> in his cabin so but it's almost just that like the one that's in the the pan that he goes over to like it's it's it seems fresh like it he's still sort of um i don't know cleaning it sterilizing it whatever he's whatever he's doing with it so it's it's i guess showing to the other two like I, I've still got it, basically. <laughs> Just in case all of the shark jaws decorating my cabin were not proof enough. Like, here is here is one sort of uh, fresh, fresh out the oven, as it were. So, I understand that he's probably boiling them to dry them out so that they, mm. you know, look good on the wall or whatever. Um, you think he's making a stock out of that, too? Hmm... Maybe. Because the implication there is this is also where he prepares his food. <laughs> oh, yeah, because all the soup and the vegetables are behind the, like, literally right there, aren't they? Yep. He's got his salt and his tomato soup and his ketchup. <laughs> this is a, this is an absolute shambles if he gets these, if he gets these pans mixed up. I mean, we yeah. could have, like, homebrew, a nice, like, chicken soup and like some broiling shark jaws. If you get one of those mixed up, that's a that's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, he's got uh let's see. He's got yeah, canned vegetables, all canned vegetables on the top. Mm-hmm. And then uh some salt, some ketchup, two cans of tomato soup, a can of beef soup and some mincemeat on the uh on the shelf there. So <laughs> I, for the first time, have wondered, like, is he saving that water and just making this weird, like, shark stew after mm-hmm. with no shark meat in it? Yeah, just like a like a sharky stock. Yeah. Mm. Shark stock. Shark stock. <laughs> that sounds like a festival. <laughs> like, like Woodstock. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to be doing in 2025. Shark stock 2025. <laughs> I'm making the t-shirts already. Uh, oh, no. alex we need your help with something yeah please uh no questions asked we would like a shark stock 2025 t-shirt oh Um, my gosh well there's the episode title yeah i would wear the heck out of that t-shirt i would absolutely wear that (laughs) t-shirt oh boy uh (laughs) Did you, I, did you have, I think I've, that's broken me now. I'm really... <laughs> yep. Did you have anything, uh, anything else well, in this scene? You know who would headline it? Shark Sock 2025, right? Who's that? Fish. Oh. <laughs> I fear this is going down a dangerous uh, <laughs> path. <laughs> well, what was the... the our band that we came up with in in the film was it the sloppy chummers like our little yeah. band but yeah there yep. we go they're they're uh playing on one of the one of the other stages I think. <laughs> yeah afternoon kind of slot you know those sort of vibes yeah <laughs> oh man 
Alrighty. Uh, before this descends into absolute chaos, did you, did you have anything else that you wanted to mention in uh, in this scene? No, but I the vision I have for Sharkstock <laughs> 2025, like it's like I have the Coachella poster, but it's a Sharkstock 2025, and mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's it's a lot. So no, because that's my entire brain now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mine too, but I'm going to attempt to get through this outro anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, did you have anything apart from Sharkstock 2025 uh, that you wanted to plug, MJ? Uh, <laughs> we'll never know because it's all I can think about now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Real Perspective, um, R-E-E-L Perspective, uh, has some episodes available. Still got to meet. I got pretty sick this week, um, so we haven't had a chance to get together and talk about uh the 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 future of the show now that stuff's kind of opening up in america and the the whole crew is fully vaxxed and stuff like that and what we want to do and talk about so meetings are happening uh or a meeting will be happening to to discuss that but um you can check it out i think our most recent episode is in the heights which we all were we all liked all right and kind of completely forgot about after we watched it so um you can listen to us talk about that Yes, uh, I have another podcast as well. Um, We only have a couple of episodes left, but there's tons you can go back and listen to. So I'm doing a Disney Classics series for Jumpcast, um, and we only have uh, Raya and the Last Dragon to go, and then our finale episode. So real, real close to the end now. I did not think we would get this far, but we have... Um, and it's been a joy to talk about some of those films so um, you can go and listen to all of those episodes um, if you just search for Jumpcast wherever you find your podcasts uh, and that will be where you find it Um, once that series comes to an end I am parting ways with Jumpcast um, just to concentrate more on on some other things obviously a lot going on personally this year with getting married and and all the rest of it and obviously still continuing this podcast so uh once those episodes are done that'll be that'll be me for another podcast but i will continue to pop up on uh anyone's podcast anyone who will have me come on and talk about something (laughs) i will be there so i'm sure there'll be other things to to plug going forward um but yeah you can find us uh on social media we are on twitter at jaws for a minute the DMs are open there, so you can send us uh, a message, anything you want to chat about, um, or ask questions, or reach out to us, then you can do that. Uh, if you don't use Twitter, uh, or you wanted to send something else by email, you can do that. Our email address is jawsforaminute at gmail.com. We are both individually on Twitter as well. I am at Sarah Buddery, and MJ is at MJSmith891. Uh, we have mentioned him a couple of times on this episode. Hopefully he is working on Sharkstock merchandise as we speak. Uh, but you can follow our wonderful uh, graphic designer, Alex, on Twitter. He is at Hex Shadow. Um, and Kristen as well, who did our theme song. You can buy that on Bandcamp, the full song, not just the bit you hear on the podcast. You can buy the full thing on Bandcamp. Uh, and she is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. So go and give her a follow there as well. Um, a couple of ways you can support the show so uh, you can rate review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice uh, we really appreciate that 
uh, that helps other people find the show and, and push us up the rankings as well which makes us very happy indeed um, you can buy some of our aforementioned merch through TeePublic and Redbubble the link to those is in our Twitter bio um, also linked in our Twitter bio is our coffee page um, so we recently hit our first donation goal which was very very exciting um, and we've set a new one uh, so all previous and any new donors are eligible to go into our contest which we run on our coffee page so if you donate through that um you will be entered into the draw to win a piece of merch probably a t-shirt um so definitely worth doing that if you are able to support us in that way that is very much appreciated uh, i think that is it for this week uh so until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere <laughs>